This week's episode of the Moderate Podcast is brought to you in part by Family Solutions International. My wife and I struggled with infertility for years before IVF gave us our twins. So I can tell you that for couples struggling with infertility, the holidays can be a particularly tough time. That's where Family Solutions International comes in. They are here to help intended parents achieve their dream of having a baby no matter what stage they are in. Family Solutions is a professionally ran organization founded by Mary Facillo. Mary is a licensed and master degree registered nurse with over 21 years of experience in fertility and third-party parenting. They are a one-stop shop with egg donation, surrogacy, and fertility consulting for parents who don't know where to start. They understand the complex emotional, psychological, medical, and financial issues surrounding gestational surrogacy and third-party parenting. To learn more about Family Solutions and the services they have to offer, or if you're interested in becoming a surrogate and helping people achieve their dream of parenthood, visit FamilySolutionsInternational.com. That's Family Solutions International, all one word, FamilySolutionsInternational.com. Or give them a call at 713-827-0301. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 104 of the Moderate Podcast for this Sunday, December 20th, 2020. It technically still is December 20th here on the West Coast. Um, I know that some of our people listening um, probably are, most people probably download this after the fact anyway. Um, now, if the sound is a little bit different, that's because we're in our brand new studio. It's still a little echoey in here. We're going to start, we're going to get some um sound treatment um designer you know of course to fit the design because as my wife said this this room is not just for my podcast but it's also for um you know it's actually our bedroom so um and so we we haven't been on, uh, with you in a few weeks um last week i did a best of uh show so i hope everybody enjoyed that and then the week before, I had pre-recorded the show, um, and that's when I had my son Alex on, and we also talked about the election of 1800 on that show. And so this is our first time that I've been with you kind of, I guess, so, quote-unquote live in the last few weeks. Now, um, again, the reason is is because I was moving, as, as I've talked about on the show a couple of times already. But um, the thing is, is that you know, moving is obviously one of those things that's not fun to do. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're excited to, to be in the place that we're in now, but uh, it does, there are struggles. And one of the things that we, uh, that we, one of the challenges we had was that our closing date was uh, pushed back. And I think I mentioned in the show, maybe I jinxed myself a little bit on my pre-recorded show that I had mentioned, oh, by the way, we're going to be in our new home. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, and that's why that's a big reason as, as to why I wasn't recording last week. Technically, we were moved in already to our home, but it, you know things were all over the place. Things are still all over the place. It's going to be that way for a while. Luckily, um, I get to have the week between Thanksgiving or excuse me, Christmas and New Year's off. So that hopefully will put a dent in some of the stuff we have in our garage. 
and in our storage unit and around the house and on and on and on and on and on. Um, and that, and pretty much the last week, you know, I've been working, but every time I get home from work, I'm, you know, doing something around the house and that's what I was doing all weekend. And so it, 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 it is gives, give you kind of a sense of accomplishment, but, um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of the, the reasons that things were delayed with the move, you know, of course people are blaming things on COVID, right? I mean, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but, um, you know, just, and in, in I, I don't know, but if if you guys have this problem, but I have this problem where if I'm putting something together and it can go either way, it's a 50-50 shot, I'm almost always guessing wrong. I'm almost always putting things on backwards and I have to take it apart and put it back together again. And I'm already slow as it is to put these things together. I, I'm, I don't, you know, I work in an office. I'm a white collar worker. So um, you know, I, I have mad respect for the the people in the trades that can do these things like it's, you know, you know, like it's second nature. So um, it's just not my forte, but I do the best I can. And I think that overall, you know, I did get a lot done this weekend. We um, put a couple of beds, beds together, bed frames together, a couple of desks together. Um, I set the studio up here. I, I posted a picture on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, hopefully you've been able to check that out. So anyway, enough about me. Let's get into the news. So obviously one thing that's been going, you know, like wildfire lately has been um, COVID or excuse me. Yeah, COVID. And um, we, and, and by the way, because I've been working on the house, I haven't, I've been kind of neglecting the show. So if I seem like I'm kind of all over the place, that's why. So, you know, it's not an excuse, but it's just an explanation. So just, you know, bear with me on that. Um, hopefully next week will be a more cohesive, more, you know, not all over the place show. Um, but uh, for now, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. So at least I'm here, you know, that I can say, I can tell you that much. At least I'm here. Um, now, one thing that that has really just bugged me about COVID, and it's really come on lately, is the fact that kids haven't been in school, and at least here in California. And there, I mean, there are some districts that have gone for waivers. Um, the the district that my kids are in, though, not only have they not gone for the waiver to be able to go back in person, but they have said that they will not go they will not even consider going back until we at least have this uh we're we're in I think the orange tier maybe even the one above that and you know obviously that is a tall hill to climb right now there's almost nobody that's in that at least in any populated areas in California so you know the the prospect of that happening is is not there and and, and the state has said that usually you get to move to the next tier if you've been in the in the tier before it for two weeks. Well, they have said, well, we're not going to do it until there's four weeks uh, that we've been in that tier. And so it, it really just sends the signal that we really don't want to go back in person. And, you know, the teachers are struggling with it. With it. The kids are obviously struggling with it. Um, some teachers are doing better than others because they just, you know, that's just their style. Um, some are really just kicking butt in terms of trying to do their best to make sure that um, that this that, that that kids have the best experience that they can given the circumstances. But um, you know, there there was an article 
um, this week in on NBC News, and they actually talked about the devastating impact on children. Um, and they, they they've they've talked about like other um, traumatic events. In the they brought up Hurricane Katrina as an example that displaced people. And you know, here here's one of here's what Beth, Bethany Gross, uh, the associate director of the Center on Reinventing Public Education at the University of Washington had to say. Recovery from Katrina wasn't a one-year recovery. We didn't just bring the kids back and everything fell into place. And this will be the same. And so, um, you know, we can't just, you know, she goes goes on to say that um, I don't think we can just start school next fall and say everything's going to be okay. And, you know, especially for the kids that haven't been back at all. I mean, my kids have not set foot in a classroom since March. And it's ridiculous to me. I mean, because the, you know, I get that you're trying to people keep people safe. Um, I believe there are ways to do that. Um, but, I, you know, the, the protocols that they've come up with, the cohorts and things like that, those are things that they can do to, to try to mitigate some of the risks. But the risk to kids is very small. And what we're doing to them now is far worse than anything that we're going to see in um, in them, you know, from from the coronavirus itself. So, you know, you they always say, you know, the cure shouldn't be more devastating than the actual illness itself. And for kids, I think that has been the case. And so, um, here are some of the things that they've had to say. And they said the numbers aren't all bad news. Uh, drug and alcohol use among youth, for example, appears to be down as are juvenile arrests and incarceration rates. Well, they're not able to go out as much. Although I do see the skateboarders at my work all the time. They're, they they skateboard right outside my door, so at least I know that those kids are still out, which is good. You know, the kids should be out and, and having fun when they can. Um, and here's some data points that are troubling. Emergency rooms have seen a 24% increase in mental health-related visits from age, kids aged 5 to 11 compared to last year. The increase among older kids is even higher, 31%. And I can see it in my own kids. I mean, they just celebrated their birthday a couple of weeks ago. And one of them who loves school, loves it. It is just passionate about learning. And he's such a a bright kid. He even said he hates school. And that, that to me is the most devastating and disappointing part of this whole thing. And so... You know, they're trying to, you know, you look at the death rates here in California. If, if for, if we were for all the things that we're doing, all the things, not just for schools, but for businesses and closing down things. And then there's inconsistencies in terms of how we handle schools or, or some businesses versus others. And you'd think, well, we're going to do these one thing, you know, we're going to go, and we're not going to allow indoor dining or outdoor dining anymore. In 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 some places in, in California, they've had enough. And they said, not only we're, are we not going to listen to the outdoor dining stuff, we're going to go inside too. Or we're just going to go inside because it's a little bit harder to catch us. So to me, that is a sign that you've gone, you know, they, they, they said, okay, we'll go along with it the first time. And the numbers didn't change. In California, if we were doing so much better than everybody else, I'd say, okay, 
you know, Gavin Newsom, you're correct. But he has not been correct at all in this whole thing. So to me, what we need to do is we need to be reasonable and rational about things and understand that the impact goes far beyond. So here's another one. Food banks have been slammed with hungry families and as, as an estimated 17 million children, main, many largely cut off from free school lunches, are now in danger of, of not having enough to eat. That's more than an increase of that's an increase of more than six million hungry children compared to before the pandemic. That's amazing. Almost triple the number that are that are not getting enough to eat. And you're telling me that those eleven million more kids are better off because of being, you know, somehow saved from the coronavirus? I mean, I get it. It's bad. But what we're doing is far worse, I think. Here's another one. Schools are struggling to teach students remotely or in classrooms in which children wear masks and sit behind plastic shields. One national testing organization reported that the average student in grades 3 through 8 who, who took a math assessment this fall scored 5 to 10 percentile points behind students who, are took, who took the same test last year, with black, Hispanic, and poor students falling even further behind. And part of that's because they don't have access, they don't have the same access to that technology. I mean, if you don't have a good internet connection, if you don't have the technology, I mean, they could give you that Chromebook or whatever you use, you know, an iPad or whatever. But if you don't have the ability to connect to school, you're not going to be able to do anything. It's not going to help you at all. Here's another one. Classrooms have been unusually empty with quarantines and sickness affecting attendance in face-to-face schools and computer issues interfering with online instruction. Just like I said, some districts report that the number of students who've missed at least 10% of classes, which studies show could be leading to devastating lifelong consequences, has more than doubled. An estimated 3 million vulnerable students who are homeless in foster care, have disabilities, or are learning English appear to not be in school at all. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What, what benefit are we getting from what they are doing to our kids? You know, again, I get it. I get the numbers are going up. We're seeing them in the ERs. You know, we have a friend that works at a hospital. She works in um, in labor and delivery. But she obviously knows people at the hospital, and so she tells us about the, the COVID numbers and things like that, and they're full. They are full. And so the, um, you know, but, but we, we, the next question always is, well, how was it compared to normal? And, you know, how are you usually during this time of the year? almost full. So we're we're not seeing I mean we are seeing a spike obviously in the number of um I um ICU beds that are being used. But you look at the the capacity throughout the year. You know, the average I think is somewhere around 60 to 70% at any one time. And that's including the summer months. So it evens out. So if you if you you can't use that 70% number throughout the year. So usually you probably have it staffed for your normal peak time. And then because during the summer you don't have as many people in ICU because you don't have flus and other, Ill- other seasonal illnesses that only happen 
during the colder months. Therefore, you have less people being using it in the summertime, and then you have more people using it in the late fall to winter time. And so, you know, but obviously if you look at it over a 365-day period, it's going to average out to, like I said, about 60 to 70%, which means that during that time, it probably is closer to like 90% under normal circumstances. And that leads me to another thing that's interesting because I, you know, I, I, I've mentioned before I work in municipal government. So I, I'm privy to some of the things that we see in this, uh, in, you know, these various metrics and things like that, that we are, you know, we are uh, trying to, to use. And so, for example, we have this now system where if you're below, if your ICU capacity for your region is less than 15%, and this is in California, and they broke up the, the state into five regions. So I'm in the Southern California region. So we are below 15% as a region. Now, there are some, some counties that are well above 15%, but because they're lumped in with Southern California, they're still in the same boat. So they did more restrictive... Um, stay-at-home orders, and so, you know, that shut down indoor dining. It shut down or dining dining out altogether, so it's only delivery or a pickup. Um, you are need personal care, so, um, you know, sal- hair salons, those are closed down in Southern California and on and on and on. And so we got an explanation, though. I, I participate in a call from time to time with the county that I work in, and so they're telling us about the metrics that they use to measure this, um, these things. And it turns out that when you say like a county has 0% ICU beds available, now some hospitals that might be the case. But what they've done is they look at the normal ICUs and say then that excess capacity is what is being used by COVID. So Orange County, for example, they said that their capacity was near zero. It was near zero. But yet they had over 100 ICU beds still available, even though if you take that number and you think about it as how they're presenting it, that they would basically tell you, no, no, there's no beds available or very, very few beds available. And But we look at the data and go, well, but we see we have 100 available. And that's what's going on here. And so it's almost like they don't want to give you the real number. Or I don't know what their explanation is, but the more this kind of stuff happens, the harder it is to say that it's not political. It's harder to say that because I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the governor that he's trying to do the best he think, thinks he the, the best he can, the best he thinks for the state is. And yet, you know, my kids are one of the few now in the country that haven't set foot in the school in nine months and counting. So it's ridiculous that now we're using these fake, met- it's not fake, but these misleading metrics 
to say that, well, we are out of the capacity that we normally would have plus, you know, plus an allowance for some COVID. And so it's like you look at what it normally is this time of year, then you have a certain percentage for COVID you, that you think is going to go in based on what happened in April. And therefore, that's going to be your the number that you need to have. And that's what you're going to base this whole thing on. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically they allot a certain percentage of the of the ICU beds on top. So they, they look at the base number of what's actually being used, right? So let's say it's 80%. Let's say it's 80, 85%, whatever the number is. And then they say, well, back in April, about 20% of the beds were being used for COVID. So we're going to assume that now. So now you have the normal 80%, and then you assume that you're going to need 20% for COVID and, 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 and put those aside, and now you have no more capacity. And that's how they come up with the number. Instead of just being responsible and telling people, here is the number, the real number, because the problem is if they hear that, they're going to say, oh, things are okay. And maybe, they, maybe they're not, and that's the problem. But the problem is, but but here's the issue with that. If you don't, I get you don't want to trust the people because you don't think they're very smart, and that's really what this comes down to. That's what this is all about, is they just don't think the people that are doing this are very intelligent. And that is sad, it's ridiculous, and um, it's offensive to me. Give us the information and let us make the most accurate call for our, for ourselves. That's all I can say. But, um, you know, COVID, and now, you know, I I haven't read much about this. I'm going to probably look into this more. Um, Maybe we'll talk about it next week. But there's this strain of COVID now out there um, in Britain that um, is is scaring some people. So we're going to, I'm going to look into that a little bit more and maybe talk about that next week. Um, And then, but on the good news side, the, the, the vaccine is being put out there. I'm hoping that because based on how um, what I do for a living and in the work that I do, that I might actually be eligible to um, be one of the people that takes the vaccine. So that'd be pretty exciting. Um, I do plan on taking it. Um, there's a lot of people that won't. Um, you know, I think the number is close to fifty percent that said they would take it, um, which is good because I think that's about the number. And I looked it up not too long ago. That's around the number that people of people that take the flu vaccine every year, about half. And so then there's this concern about, you know, well, how are you going to know that you're vaccinated? Are you going to carry around a card? And, oh, my gosh, we can't do that. But, like, we do that for our kids now. Like, when I go to a, when we registered our kids for school back in the day, we were, we were required to show their immunization records. We were required to show that to, be, to to people. But obviously, I don't know. I mean, apparently this is a some big invasion of privacy. I, you know, I'm going to have to have a libertarian on to explain this to me because it's like, I don't, I still have not figured out what people are so afraid of and why they are so, you know, up in arms about some of these things about the government knowing these things. It's like, well, they know a lot of stuff, 
but also they have so much thing they have so many things to worry about that they're not worried about you. Unless you're doing something wrong, they're not worried about you because they don't have time to. You know, that this is deep state. And so speaking of deep state, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to talk about where we are with the election, where things are going. We had the electoral college, we're going to talk about that, but the it's still not over for the Trump campaign and they're still they're still out there challenging us. I got to I got to give it to them. They've got a lot of they've got a lot of gumption, man. They they're sticking to this narrative like a fly on s. Man, I'm telling you, it's crazy. So we're going to talk about that um we're going to talk about the next steps and when does the when does this election actually end? Cuz it hasn't ended yet. Yes, we had the electoral college. Yes, Joe Biden won it. But what comes next? We're going to talk about that right after the break. This week's episode of the Moderate Podcast is brought to you in part by Naked Nutrition. Naked Nutrition provides you with pure protein powders and supplements to help you meet your nutrition and fitness goals. Naked Nutrition is completely transparent about their ingredients. That way you know exactly what is going into your body. No additives means your body gets more of what it needs. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase at NakedNutrition.com by using the code POD, P-O-D. That's 10% off using the code POD for first-time customers. Take your nutrition to the next level with Naked Nutrition. And welcome back to the Moderate Podcast on this Sunday, December 20th, 2020. Glad to have you with us on the show this week. And um, before I get into the whole election stuff and all that stuff and everything, um, I do want to point out some of the stuff that I do have in my new studio. So I, I, I had mentioned that I had been teasing this the last couple of weeks, and now I actually have my stuff. And I got some really, really cool equipment. So I've got the Rode um, Procaster. Um, it is just an amazing piece of equipment. It, it, it's funny because when I got it, it's actually bigger than I thought it would be. Um, it, it, it's it's a really good size board. Um, and so everything is a little bit bigger than I had envisioned it. So I looked, I've watched videos on it and how to use it and things like that. And hopefully that this comes out good. I'm hoping to cut down on my post-production. That's really what I'm trying to do. And I'm actually playing, I'm actually doing the podcast as kind of, you know, live to tape type of thing. So I'm playing all my um, bits and, and sound and music and things like that from the sound pads on the Rodecaster Pro. It's called the Rodecaster, not the Rode Procaster. That's a, that's a microphone. Rodecaster Pro is what this uh, piece of equipment is called. And then um, I got a new mic, the SM7B which is a really um, great mic. It's one of the most um, popular mics of all time. And so I was excited to get that. And so, and I have three other mics that I'm using for guest mics. Um, so when I have the kids on, I can have all three of them on at once. And I have it already all set up. And I have my PC in front of me and with 24-inch monitor and all that stuff. So um, I really upgraded um, the the whole setup here. So I'm really super excited about this whole thing and, and where, where we're going with this program. So um, we're going to be, you know, I've invested a lot in this show, so I'm going to be around a while. Um, I am going to be selling my 
my pod mic. So if anybody out there is a fellow podcaster and you're interested in acquiring that, um, we can make a deal, especially if you're a friend of the show. Um, I, I would be willing to give you a discount on that. And those are hard to find right now. Um, if you try to go find a pod, a road pod mic, um, you won't be able to find it. Um, but I just feel like for consistency on the show, um, I'm using my host mic and then I have three mics for my guests, which are all the same. So I could have kept my pod mic for one of my guest mics, but I felt like if those mics sound different, it's going to be a little bit weird. So I wanted to standardize the guest mics. So therefore I will be, um, it basically left the, the pod mic a surplus. Pod mic is a great, great mic. I love it. And um, so I, I hope to find it a good home. So if, if I don't hear from anybody in the next week or so, it'll be hitting eBay. So if you're interested, um, just reach out to me, host at themoderatepodcast.com. Okay. So the Trump campaign is not giving up, and neither are some of their, uh, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, these websites, this justthenews.com, they, I love these names, by the way. I mean, if you call it just the news, I guess that means that somehow it will be more truthful. Like, well, they're calling themselves just the news, so they must be reporting just the news. Um, yeah. So here's one of the things that they came out with this week. Um, actually, this, this posted just on Friday. Dominion voting systems. Again, again with the Dominion. Um, they issued a warning to Georgia officials prior to the 2020 election that memory cards might need to be removed from vote tabulation machines prior to the end of the election to deal with a limitation in its system, according to records obtained by Just the News through an open records request. Wow, man, man, that sounds like some really breaking news. Officials acknowledged Thursday at least 36 memory cards had to be prematurely removed from vote tabulating machines in the Atlanta area that had reached counting limits. The cards were stored in a locked cabinet until polls closed, officials said. Okay, well, all right. Um, Dominion, which has fiercely defended its, its technology since Election Day, issued the customer advisory on October 26th, according to a bulletin, quote-unquote, sent to county officials from Georgia Elections Division Director Chris Harvey. The memo was obtained through a, free, for, through a FOIA request from Just the News to Fulton County, home of Atlanta, Georgia's largest city. Dominion Voting released a customer advisory yesterday stating that when an image cast precinct tabulator reaches approximately 10,000 ballots cast for a single election, a message will appear that reads, Maximum ballot capacity reached, Harvey wrote in the memo. Harvey directed officials to follow one of two policies outlined by Dominion, quote, if they believe that a single ICP, or image cast precinct, will reach 10,000 10, ballots cast. One of, those, one of those was a directive to remove the original memory cards from the tabulator that has reached or nearing, it's nearing maximum capacity and install new memory cards into, into it. Harvey's memo directed officials to refrain from closing the polls on the cards until 7 p.m. on election night and to store the cards securely. In the attached instructions coming from Dominion, the company has part of the protocol directed workers to remove the original memory memory cards and store tabulation at the store tabu, store tabulation at the appropriate time. That's set in context. 
Those instructions do not mention anything about secure storage. Um, you know that the whole thing, like they're not going to tell you how you run your election. They're providing a tool to help you run your election. But at the end of the day, you have to make your own policies based on how the machine, the, the, this thing works. They don't do everything for you. They're, at some point, you have to make your own policies, right? Now, this was an, a, a statement that was um, made by, uh, let's see, an official with Dominion, meanwhile, on Thursday evening, gave a statement via email through Fulton County uh, spokeswoman uh, Jean, Regina Waller. Due to the amount of races that were on the November 2020 ballot and the large number of early voting polling site, early voting polling sites that we have in Fulton County, the Dominion ICX scanner had to had had the memory to hold the ballot images of about 5,000 ballots. The official said, "After my staff and I did a test to confirm the max, that the max was 5,000 ballots, we consulted upper management and made the determination that we would swap out memory cards at 3,000 ballots. We stopped out." memory cards 36 times during the early voting period for security each set of memory cards was placed in a secure memory card bag that was locked and sealed and then placed in a locked cabinet the official continued the memory cards were locked in the cabinet until induction night after the polls closed at 7 p.m at this time the cabinet was unlocked the seals were broken on each bag and each memory card was uploaded into the election management system for tabulation So, we have another nothing burger. And yet, this is the article concludes, the recent recently revealed directive throws new light on memory card-related controversies that have arisen in Georgia since the 2020 election last month. It sounds to me that the company knew of this limitation, let them know ahead of time, and then they put a procedure in place to deal with it. And then, so again, this is the evidence they're talking about. This is the evidence they're talking about of when they say, oh, we have all this evidence of all this fraud. This is an, this is an example of that. And, and yet, if you actually, and this is their own article, you can imagine that they're trying to bias the hell out of this thing because they're saying that the memory card-related controversies this is not a controversy at all. This is this they actually did things right. This shows that they did things right. Not that they did something wrong. I mean, come on. You like you really You cannot be serious. Give me a break here. I mean, you know, this is and this is this is one example, right? I mean, so they they say there's a pattern of all this stuff. This is the kind of stuff that they've got that they're acute that they're that they're construing into fraud. This is it. This is a big. This is a big. Um, this is one of their big things. Like, oh my God, look at what happened here. And people read the the headline. The headline. The headline says suspicious. Dominion warned memory cards might not might need to be prematurely removed from voting machines. That's the headline for this article. <laughs> and we're in, in th- this is, 
this is the kind of stuff that the Trump followers are looking at. And it's really sad and it's really scary because there's a lot more of them than people think. You know, I, I talk to my dad about that, that about this stuff, kind of stuff sometimes, and, he's, and he thinks that there's very few people that actually believe this. But I think it's more than a lot of people think, and it's scary. And, and, and maybe because of what I do for this podcast, I actually go out and seek it out and look at, at it for, in, on social media, and maybe that's why I'm seeing it. But there are way more people that I'm comfortable with that feel this way. And they still believe that the election was stolen, even to this day. And they still believe that there's still hope in actually turning this thing around. So in one of the things they point at is the Electoral Count Act of 1887. So we've talked about the election of 1876 on this program before and how there was disputes because the biggest thing was Several states submitted competing slates of electors. Now, this is a very different time because there are actually multiple governments within some of these southern states. And so you had a, you know, a state that was basically run by the union, essentially. But then you had a, another kind of faction that claimed to be the real elected government because you know they were Democrats, so, the, so most of the, uh, you know, e- e despite the the fact that the the South was almost all Democratic back then, you still had a lot of Republican officials because those were the only ones that they would actually recognize in Washington. And again, this was still a fallout from the 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 Civil War, and so the 1876 election. One of the things that we've talked about is it was the Great Compromise of, of 1877 that made. Um, oh gosh, let me click on this real quick so I remember who the the president was. Rutherford B. Hayes, who beat Samuel Tilden, and um, it made him president. But it, but what it did was it also um, ended Reconstruction in the South, and so. That was a that was a big deal, and so um, now Congress had to figure out. Okay, we had this con- we had this controversy. How are we going to make sure that we follow the Constitution, but also make sure that this con- kind of thing never happens again? And so this has been this was the the um, the result of that. Now, according to Wikipedia, the law has been criticized since it was enacted early with an early commenter describing it as very confusing, almost unintelligible. And that is true. I mean, there's actually one, um, there is one sentence that's over 270 words long um, in this thing. And so it talks about, all right, it talks about several things. And we've already heard about one of them. And that's the safe harbor. So the safe harbor basically says, okay, the electors, here, here's how, how, well, instead of me trying to explain it, let me just read it. The, the, the provision is gives states the initial opportunity to finalize their own controversies regarding the appointment of electors. So the provision applies with a state has provided by laws enacted by it prior to the day fixed for the apportionment of directors, that is elect, through election day, or its final determination of any controversy or contest by judicial or other methods or procedures 
and such determination has been made at least six days before the time fixed for the meeting of the electors. So that's the safe harbor day. So that's December 8th in, the, in our case this year because the I think the, the, the day of, that's fixed for the Electoral College is like the first Monday after the second Wednesday of the, of the month of December. I don't know where they come with these, like the first Tuesday of the first Monday. Um, so December 14th was the Electoral College vote, as we know, and there were no faithless elect, elector, or electors. Um, that did happen in 2016. A couple of um, Hillary um, electors actually went for Bernie Sanders, and a couple of um, Trump electors went for other people. I think one of them went for Rand Paul, actually. So Rand Paul had like a one or two um, electoral votes, and uh, I think Bernie Sanders got like one or two as well. So, um, you know, so that, I think that's uh, where we're, we're going with that. Now, the safe harbor came up in the Bush v. Gore controversy because basically, um, so this is what it says here, during the 2000 election recount, the U.S. Supreme Court in verse Bush versus Palm Beach County Canvassing Board remanded the election contest to the Florida Supreme Court, asking it to consider the implications of the section in the safe harbor. In Bush v. Gore, the U.S. Supreme Court later observed that the state court had said that the state legislature intended the state's electors to participate fully in the federal electoral process, as provided in in Section uh, 5 of of the Act. Well, with the deadline having arrived, the court held that because Florida did not have a recount procedure in place that would meet both the deadline would both meet the deadline and comply with the due process standards as identified by the majority, the recounts ordered by the state could, would be terminated. This effectively ended the election contest after Al Gore declined to pursue further litigation. Now. Um, as you know, last a couple weeks ago, on December 7th, um, the, the Texas Attorney General filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court in Texas versus Pennsylvania. And that's where the Supreme Court basically says, hey, you guys don't have standing on this because you cannot meddle. Each state determines how they elect the president. So they're basically were, were, um, were saying that Texas was harmed because they voted for Trump. And therefore, because of the irregularities in these other states, in these four states, that's Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, that because of that, they didn't, their their due process was damaged because they, they felt that they had followed the law correctly and that these four states did not. And therefore, they should be able to, I don't know, somehow challenge that because they're basically saying that they violated both various federal and state laws by changing their election procedure in the run-up to the election. But again, what the what the law says, <coughs> excuse me, is that um, you can change the laws before the election, and that's what they did. Now, again, the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed that they did not did that they did have jurisdiction regarding the matter. However, they denied the motion for leave to file a bill of complaint for lack of standing. So again, the state of Texas did not have standing because they basically said, look, each state determines how they're going to appoint their electors. And so, for example, Maine and New, New, New Nebraska, they determine it. They're statewide, 
count gets two uh, votes, but the um, all their other electoral votes are by congressional district. And so, so that's why um, that that's why you know each state can determine how they how they do that. But most of them do it by popular vote, right? And so, then um, there's a certificate of ascertainment. The section three requires the governor of each state to prepare seven original copies of a certificate of ascertainment, each under the seal of the state which identifies the electors appointed by the state and the votes they received, as well as the names of all of the candidates for elector and the votes that they received. The electors that are being appointed are determined under and pursuant pursuance of the law such of such state providing of such ascertainment. The name of the presidential candidate and vice presidential candidate do not appear on the certificate, neither do the number of votes. Their certificates only include the names of the state or of a slate of electors. <clears throat> so again, that one, that means that, um, you know, but there is a controversy there because the constitution says that the legislature will determine how that's going to be done. But that's the thing is that the legislatures set the laws that will determine. And that is the, that is their determination of how they will select their electors which is most, like I said, most 48 of the 50 states do it by popular vote. Maine and Nebraska are the, the exceptions to that. So it, now, when they actually go to count the votes, the, count, the votes will be count on January 6th, and that is the, obviously the next um, <clears throat> date that the, the Trump campaign believes that they might be able to challenge this thing. And so... Um, Due to the 20th Amendment, the the joint session is conducted by the new Congress, whose term begins on January 3rd. So the Senate and House must meet in the House chamber at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on January 6th, and the president of the Senate, which is currently Mike Pence, is the presiding officer. Section 7 of the Act specifies the seating arrangements in the House chamber. The two tellers, two tellers must be previously appointed by the Senate and two tellers by the House of Representatives. The President of the Senate must open all the certificates and papers purporting to be certificates of the electoral votes and hand them over, hand them to the four tellers as they as they are opened. The certificates and papers must be um, opened, presented, and acted upon in the alphabetical order of the states, beginning with the letter A. The tellers, having read the papers in the presence of in hearing of two, the two houses must make a list of the votes as they shall appear from their certificates. If there are any objections to the returns from any state, they must be resolved before the process can continue to the next state. No votes or papers from any other state shall be acted upon until the objections previously made to the votes or papers from any state shall have been finally disposed of. So this means that what will likely happen, and Tommy Tuberville has already said he's going to do it, is that they're going to challenge those various um, those various states, probably, namely Georgia, Arizona, um, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, possibly Nevada as well. But here's the problem with that: even if that happens, Mitch McConnell has already said that, hey, we're not going to have any funny business. He's already even recognized that Joe Biden is going to be the president. 
So it'll be interesting to see because if there is a controversy, the the problem also can 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 be construed that if there is multiple returns. So one thing that we heard from Stephen Miller, I don't know if it was this last week or the week before that, but he basically said that they were gonna they were planning to send their own electors to uh, to, to make a vote, and so if they got together with a friendly um, governor, there could be a a situation where multiple, you know, states have multiple um, returns. I haven't heard of anything actually being sent, but it wouldn't be surprising if that were to be the case. But we'll see. So they talk about different um, ways that this can happen. If so... You know, if if two, if both are claiming the, if one is claiming the safe harbor and one is not, the one that has claimed the safe harbor gets gets counted, and the other one gets thrown out. Again, by law. Now, people can can go ahead and challenge the constitutionality of this law, but I think you're going to have to, you know, that that could happen, and you could have a situation where it holds up the process because they have to check 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 the law. Um, I'm having a lot of issues right now. We had we're having work on our on our house, and so it's dusty everywhere. And so I'm I'm really I'm struggling here. Uh, if you can't tell, <clears throat> um, now if there's two states that or two returns that both claim um, the that that both claim the, the safe harbor, then. You can. Um, there is. There are things that that go into that, and there. And there's a third that neither one is um, there. In there, there are multiple returns that have that. None of them complain, can claim the safe harbor. So, in some of these circumstances where you have only you know you have multiple returns, there could be a possibility that you throw those votes out. But both um, houses would have to agree to that, and I think what they're trying, their goal is not to necessarily get their alternative votes, their alternative of electoral votes counted, but they want to throw out enough electoral votes so that they can get so that neither candidate gets to the majority. If that happens, the Republicans actually retain state control of the house. So in other words, it goes state by state. Each state gets one vote. So, you know, California has 55 or 53 um members of Congress, but they'd have to agree on one vote. And um on the other side of the spectrum, Liz Cheney of Wyoming is the sole vote a uh, sole member of Congress in Wyoming and so she would get a vote her on her own for president. And so when you look at it from that perspective, the Republicans have the majority in 26 of the 50 states, which would be enough. And so they could elect Donald Trump again. And that's really what this is this all is all about at the same point. If if this is about actually winning the election. We of course know that's not the case. We know that this is all show. We all know this is all a bunch of crap. Because they're really just trying to prolong the process as much as possible and create a controversy 
not you know and 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 cast doubt on the legitimacy of Joe Biden because apparently everybody's in on this. All these senators, even Republicans now, uh, Mitch McConnell's in on it. He must be a member of the deep state now. Um, the new justices that Donald Trump, Trump appointed, they must be in the controversy. I mean, are they part of the deep state too? I mean, that's that's what we're getting to. That's what we're coming down to is that that now even Amy Coney Barrett is a member of the deep state. And, you know, he's very, you know, Trump tweeted that he was very disappointed in the um, electoral college. You know, cry more. <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone, you know, it's funny how, you know, the, the the MAGA people are like, you know, F your feelings and, you know, we're all about logic and facts and, you know, but we all know um, that the real, the real fans of Trump. I love the poorly educated. So we know that. We know that. And so here's the thing. This is about 2024. Um, will Trump run again? I don't know. I mean, here's the thing, too. Joe Biden has said he's not going to go after Donald Trump. They're not going to try to prosecute him, which I think is a, is a lot of a lot of liberals are pissed about that. I think that's a good move, honestly, um, because if if I'm Joe Biden, that's a smart move because you know that there's plenty of states that are going to go after him. They don't they don't they don't care about <laughs> you know that's that's where it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to the states. It's not going to come down to. Um, the the federal government's not going to have to go after him because they know that he is, uh, you know, that there's uh, like just we know in in New York alone he probably there there's things that they can go after him for, but you, you're never there's nothing that's going to heal this nation anytime soon because the 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 liberals feel that they have this mandate now and they're going to be fighting they're going to be fighting amongst themselves so there's going to be factions within the Democratic Party that are going to be competing for power. Obviously, the progressive movement, you know, Bernie Sanders really brought that to the forefront. Now you have a whole generation now of Congress people that are trying to push that 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 pro- progressive agenda. And then you have the more, I mean, they're still liberal, obviously, but they're not nearly as liberal as them. And, you know, in the, in the old guard, you know, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Sumer's of, of that ilk. And then you have the, the, the Joe Manchin's, who's a very, um, you know, moderate uh democrat and he's you know he's one of those that is going to you know hold Joe Biden accountable and he's going to make sure hey you were a moderate that was your big thing when you were in in the senate so that's let's continue that and you will he will work with him and so there the the senate is close enough to where they're going to have they, they they're going to have to get bipartisan support because they're going to have even people in their own party, they're going to go for things. Even if those two Georgia seats end up going to the Democrats, it won't matter because you'll have somebody like a Joe Manchin that's still going to keep them in check. Obviously, he's going to go with them more than often than not, but it'll be enough to keep them in check. And so that's really what they're looking to do. Um, I think that, again, I've mentioned this before, but I believe that a Joe Biden administration is not going to go way off the rails in terms of liberal being so you know liberal progressive what have you because he's not going to change who he is after all this time well why would he change who he is uh, you know after all that i just don't see it happening so 
Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that that all plays out. But now, as we like I said, the, the January sixth date is still where a lot of the uh, the Trump people are holding out hope. They still think he's going to be president. You know, he's he's going to be getting you know sworn into a second term on January twentieth, twenty twenty one. So a month from today, they believe that uh, Joe Biden or that Donald Trump will still be president. So um, when that doesn't happen, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what the excuse is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not going to be pretty. And, um, you know, hey, we're going to be it's going to be an interesting ride, to say the least. Okay, so that's going to do it for me this week on the Moderate Podcast. Remember to visit our website at themoderatepodcast.com. We have links to all of our social media, which is uh, Facebook. It, we, if you want to go there directly, it's facebook.com slash themoderatepodcast. We're on Twitter at themodpodcast1. And we are on um, Instagram at themoderatepodcast as well. So until next week, next week we're going to do, where it's going to be our last show of 2020. I'm going to probably have the kids come in and um, we're going to just have some fun and I do want to talk about kind of the year in review because this has been one hell of a year, as we all know. And um, But I think there's some things that we don't even remember happened in 2020 because it just feels like it's been, you know, this is this year has been about five years long, right? Maybe even longer than that for some people. So um, we're going to talk about all that um, next week. But until then, everyone have a Merry Christmas. Every, if you don't celebrate Christmas, whatever you celebrate, I hope you have a safe one. And uh, until next week, next week, everyone, keep it real.